Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Zombieland. Welcome to Zombieland. It's like a greatest hits collection of nightmares. Gotta enjoy the little things. I'm not easy to get along with. And I'm sensing you're a bit of a wuss. We're actually one of the few non-zombies left, because we always play it safe. Drive slow, keep your eyes peeled. Bummer. We got taken hostage by a 12-year-old. Little girls mature way faster than boys. My sister and I are going to do whatever it takes to survive. I love you. Love me too. My mother always told me, someday you'll be good at something. I don't think she could have guessed that that something would be zombie killing. Time to nut up or shut up. Oh, I love this song. How about we play the quiet game? I've actually been meaning to ask you. Do you never play the quiet game? Zombie land. You guys want some Purell? Yes. Yeah. And back on the show from the episode on Inside Out, it is a pair of professional psychologists from the Two Shrinks pod, Dr. Hunter Mulcair. I haven't cried like that since Titanic. <laughs> and Amy Donaldson. Let's play the quiet game. Sadly, we can't, or there would be no podcast. And thank you both for returning. This was your pick, by the way, which uh, just happened to coincide with the release of the sequel, Zombieland 2 Double Tap, uh, without neatly summarising exactly what we're about to talk about. Is it possible you can explain why you picked this one over every movie that you've watched that we haven't yet done? <laughs> uh, I, I, like, I, I was really interested in doing sort of a, an adult. We did Inside Out, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid kids movie and i wanted to do something adult and i really really love this movie it's sort of the the black humor you know i think it's really really great but uh, you know i think it's a really interesting character study of you know people coping with adversity as psychologists we really sort of click with that yeah absolutely seems as good a reason as any especially if it's in if it's enjoyable that that you can really get your teeth into it um i'm actually going to take my cues here folks from uh the if you guys at home haven't yet listened to the two shrinks pod uh, these guys did an episode on Harry Potter where you went through a variety of different... It was mental disorders. Mental disorders. Yeah, yeah attributing yeah. them to the adults in the Harry Potter series. You, didn't, you wanted to save the kids for a different scenario. Or, or the, was the idea yeah. that the kids haven't fully developed yet and so yeah. they you need to... You can't diagnose personality disorders in children. Yeah. But that was a fascinating episode, folks, and, and it was, it's a really good format for this particular one. So we can effectively go from character to character talking about their specific hang-ups looking at how this actually does help them survive in Zombieland, but that there are also negative side effects of that, and also how this might manifest in, we'll call it pre-Zombieland or pre-apocalypse or just the re-IRL, if you will. Mm-hmm. If, you, if we look at Zombieland like it's an MMO, because that's one of the themes I'll, I'll, I'll get to soon, if we look at it like it's a simulation and they, are, they have left the real world behind and they are in this simulation... 
uh, then if they were to somehow return to the real world and all of these uh, hang-ups were still there, how that might make day-to-day life challenging for them or how might it might actually in some ways benefit. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Because some, yeah, sometimes our hang-ups are actually good survival tools. Well, strictly speaking, any form of um, anxiety or things of that nature, even if it gets sort of right up to the end of, of OCD and things like that, they are, they are coping mechanisms. At some point, your brain has decided that this is a way to keep you alive. It's just that they are overplaying it and it's no longer appropriate for the situation mm. that you're in. Okay, so with that uh, established as the um, as the uh, outline, we're going to start with uh, what I'm dubbing over-preparation anxiety. So this film takes place post-zombie apocalypse, and they're fast zombies, and they're un- undead zombies rather than just infected humans, as far as I can tell. And our introductory character is Columbus, who delivers us a list of rules that he abides by in order to stay alive. Now, the complete list to date is incomplete, and several of the ones that I've omitted here are to do with promotion of the film. So there's one on, like, um, uh, hand towels or something to promote hand towels, so we're going to ignore that one. Uh, But there are 13 that are referenced within the movie that are actually usable. And why am I alive when everyone around me has turned to meat? It's because of my list of rules. Rule number one for surviving Zombieland? Cardio. I had to get a gun and learn how to use it. Which leads me to my second rule, the double tap. In those moments when you're not sure the undead are really dead dead, don't get all stingy with your bullets. I mean, one more clean shot to the head. And this lady could have avoided becoming a human Happy Meal. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. It wasn't long before the zombies began to get clever. When you're at your most vulnerable, somehow they could just smell it. Can't a guy take a dubber in peace? Don't let them catch you with your pants down. Rule number three, beware of bathrooms. As zombies began to outnumber humans, you had to focus on your own survival, which leads to rule number four. Pretty basic. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy ride. You should actually limber up as well, especially if we're going down that hill. It is very important. Rule number 22. When in doubt, know your way out. Really want to impress Wichita. But it would be in direct violation of Rule 17. Maybe the most important rule of all. Don't be a hero. Sometimes Tallahassee's right. You gotta enjoy the little things. Even if that means destroying a whole lot of little things. So this list goes up to the 30s and beyond, and they aren't in order of importance. They seem to be in order of when Columbus first had to memorize them situationally. What does that tell us about the kind of mind that Columbus has and why it might be both a help and a hindrance to him, firstly, in Zombieland, but secondly, imagining him just getting by IRL in real life? We've kind of gone backwards and forwards about Columbus in trying to sort of make sense of him. And I think, uh, you know, the rules and his kind of social awkwardness make me wonder about um, autism or Asperger's, Mm -hmm. that sort of he he can get by in the world as long as he has a rule for that situation and so each new situation he encounters he needs to have a rule that is going to work in that situation so uh 
in a way it's functional in that it helps him navigate new situations. It helps him know what to expect. But in another way, it completely confuses him when things don't go according to the rules. Yeah, when he has to challenge them. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And or, or, and the other sort of approach that we sort of think of is like, you know, this, this is a high level of neuroses mm-hmm. with him, you know, that anxiety and the sort of this is, you know, he's got this cleanliness this, you know, IBS, social anxiety mm-hmm. kind of cluster of things. And it seems to be a way of him controlling his everyday life and it's just expanded into in Zombieland. This is this is how he was pre Zombieland and this is how he's kind of he's just this is he's doubled down on it is mm. sort of the way that I that I sort of felt about it. He's um you know socially isolated before Zombieland. He talks about shutting himself in his apartment sounds like his parents do the same thing. So it's kind of, you know, his partnering up with someone else kind of, he has to form a new rule for that Mm. because it doesn't fit within his existing way of being from the looks of it anyway. Yeah. And and we thought what was interesting is that he, um, he, he's very wary of other people in real life. And then also wary when first meets Tallahassee particularly. Um, But he's also got this like longing for connection. He's really longing for Mm. some kind of thing, but he just doesn't know how to do it. Just Mm. he's like really struggles with it. And, um, and so on your point, Alex around like, how does that sort of hinder him? These rules really kind of get in the way of him having connection. Um, It kind of, falls into having connection throughout the film. Especially because he expects other people to follow his rules as well and kind of comments when they don't. So like comments when they don't put on their seatbelt or things like that. Like he he hasn't got the social insight to kind of go, well, these might be my rules, but that doesn't mean they have to be your rules. Yeah, he's the the one that double taps the the thing after the the zombie gets hit with with the banjo or whatever um, when they do the the stop where they smash up everything in the store, that kind of stuff. He can't. Help, he cannot help himself. Mm-hmm. Is there a little OCD in that, perhaps? Yeah, we. Yeah, we. I, I wondered whether it was a bit of OCPD, mm. which is sort of the uh, sort of order, control, old-fashioned anal retentiveness kind of things. Of course, you would have to have, to have everything um, ordered this particular way. Why wouldn't you do it? Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, OCD is this kind of like you you want to line up everything, but you know it's ridiculous. Whereas he doesn't think it's ridiculous. He thinks it's really, really, it's it's like, well, of course you would write down the rules, that kind yeah. of stuff. One of the conceits of the movie is that um, this is a guy who most people would assume would be zombie food in the apocalypse because he's uh, effectively, by societal standards, a weakling. He is unfit to survive. Uh, so the movie posits... What if this guy that you would underestimate is actually, by virtue of all of these anxieties, able to survive? So it's um, well, that, it's that, that element of him wanting the connection. Um, he even points out that not having that is part of what saves him because there's nobody around him to to go for him when the moment comes. There's a little bit of Michael Baying in here, um, but uh, in a more kindly way. Michael Bay's uh, lead male characters, uh, Shia LaBeouf, was a horrendous reflection of the uh, audience of teenage boys uh, whom he holds in contempt. Columbus is effectively, you know, it's it's a, a large contingent of the audience are going to be slightly more nerdy boys. And uh, if they are more jockey and bro-y, then they'll probably identify with Tallahassee more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, 
But, but everyone's had moments where you felt weak, where you mm. felt anxious and, and, and neurotic and didn't really know what to do. So, like, I think like, – or, or maybe I just am – I relate to no, his character <laughs> a lot. But, yeah, I don't know. There's something about it that you really you really can't go, yeah. Like, mm. and, and he kind of reminds me – Amy and I um, – a massive Survivor fans and um, the TV show Survivor. And he kind of reminds me of like you get down towards the, the last couple of rounds in in Survivor and there's always like a couple of people you're like, how did this person mm. get navigate this way through? Mm. And but there's all but they do that people survive and it's like it's always really interesting. So Yeah. And that thing about um, connection is something that I think is all the way through our kind of thoughts about about this movie, about that all of them are conflicted in that way, about that, you know, it's a risk connecting with other people and he's kept himself safe by not having to protect other people or not having to kind of consider how they might be a liability. But he seems like he really wants to take that risk. It's just sort of how that fits into the rest of the rules. He's effectively coded his life. I mean, most people have situational coding where they can uh, most uh, improvise based on experience. But he's got this rigid, rigorous code that uh, he can consult at lightning speed whenever he gets into a situation, which is based on very specific situations. Like the the moment he gets stuck in a bathroom, he's like, right, beware of bathrooms. That was his uh, number three. Although technically that should be number number two one assumes cardio was i was only able to evade my neighbor uh because i uh, w- you know was, was relatively spry at the time beware of bathrooms yeah. he ended up cornered in a bathroom almost immediately so that should technically be number two um <laughs> before the double tap which is uh, i'm assuming what he used to take her out in the end yeah. Oh, God. yeah yeah but- i think the um his that sort of thing that you're saying about him having a set of rules for each situation and kind of like picking out which one applies to which thing is the real thing that had me thinking that kind of um, Aspie kind of edge Mm. of that sort of like, if I have a formula for each situation, then that's going to be fine. But it's not necessarily something that's generalizable to all situations. Mm. It's kind of specific. And that inability to generalize leads to what I um, have dubbed this as over-preparation anxiety, as in he's got all of these rules, but the whole world out there is chaos, and he can only abide by the rules he's got already, and he's having to create new ones on the fly all the time. So there's always this nervousness about him. There's always this, right, what am I going to learn in the next few seconds if I stay alive and uh, it's you know him dying is obviously the worst thing possible to him. So there's always that looming spectre of screwing up. Mm. I wonder if part of it actually is a uh, you're storing things in the wrong place. So like the, it's it's basic human mental function to have coding for situations and have rules by which you you judge the circumstances that you're in but we're not supposed to be aware of them most of the time so like anything that moves like a snake we're automatically wary of because a snake could potentially kill us but that's not something that we keep in our conscious brain I think the the difference seems to be with with Columbus and if we're taking him as sort of the the example of the overly anxious and overly prepared type is that all of these situations are very much at the forefront of his mind. Mm. It's quite manualized his response to things as well mm. whereas with 
that example about the snake, it's kind of like a instinctual thing that's other than step by step this is how you do it yeah but like i like i work with uh medically unwell people as a psychologist and the and so a lot of people are thrown into a new situation a new world they get a cancer diagnosis and it's not only that the cancer diagnosis is scary life-threatening and there's a whole lot of physical symptoms that may come with that. But then they also might be having uh, particular treatments like chemotherapy where, you know, uh, if you are having active chemotherapy and then you get a temperature, then you need to present to hospital like, you know, within the next hour kind of thing, you know. And so there's a whole lot of rules that people actually do have to develop and, and kind of awareness about stuff. And so like I don't work a lot with Aspie people at all. So or autism. So, so my clinical experience is like looking at this guy going, yeah, like I could imagine someone going to going right, having to, you know, memorize certain things mm. and this is the way I do it. Mm. And I'm, 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 and for this period of time, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, I, I can read it both ways. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So maybe that's standard for everybody. It's just that, um, it's it's how you cope with things when you go into a completely new situation. So the snake yeah. example is something that we've been dealing with for so long that it, we have been able to file it in back brain. Yeah, effectively, our DNA is coded with this particular rule. Mm, yeah. Rule number yeah. one, beware of snakes. Yeah, But his, yeah. he's dealing with a zombie apocalypse, which is a fairly new situation. Mm. It's going to be a while <laughs> to encode that in uh, DNA. Yeah. Uh, also, these <laughs> these rules are so very specific, they only really help if your lifestyle is scavenging in a zombie apocalypse. Beware of bathrooms is useless in regular life society. If, effectively, if the world changes around him, he has to lower his rigidity. It takes the entire film just to modify don't be a hero into be a hero. Mm. And that's situational. Yeah. And also, like, beware of bathrooms. If he'd gone the way of, okay, let's get away from all of the uh, the organised society areas and just go and live in a forest somewhere, mm. no bathrooms to worry about. That's not... Yeah, that's, a beware, that's total bewaring of bathrooms, staying away from everything. Uh, but ultimately, the bathrooms thing is getting boxed in. Yeah. He's yeah. uh, he's uh, afraid of uh, being somewhere he can't get out. Mm. Well, it's it's an extension of a, an instinctive thing, actually, in that when we're in a physically vulnerable situation like going to the toilet or being asleep <coughs> or mm. being in the middle of sex or something like that, we there are certain elements of ourselves that are incredibly vulnerable. So there are often anxieties and things that people attach to those situations because of the vulnerability that's inherent in them. And as I said, the, uh, uh, he's, his greatest fear is that he will die. Because, so all of these rules are set up for this very specific kind of limited existence and very few incorporate other people, which again is why this uh, Rule 17 does get modified at the end. During the For Whom the Bell Tolls Metallica sequence at the beginning, all of those people in slow motion going... Getting eaten by zombies. That is effectively what's going on inside Columbus's head as to what happened to the unprepared. That is his nightmare is these people didn't have a plan. And what if I didn't have a plan? Then I, I you know, I, what if I didn't have this code? I would then be um, this person firing off an AK 47 while a zombie creeps up behind me. And all of these, they use our familiarity with zombie films and monster films in general to 
shorthand a lot of this stuff. Mm, yeah, which I think is a, a hallmark of a lot of the the best comedic modern films is that they can be self-referential. They can acknowledge the fact that they are the latest in a long line of this type of movie. Given his rules, his preparation and all that kind of stuff, what do you guys make of the fact he has a double-barreled shotgun? Like It just seems not that efficient. Mm. It seems reliable, but I, I wonder, we wonder what you, might have, what you guys thought of that. My guess, My guess would, be, would be... Okay, you, sh- you first. Okay, right. First off, uh, uh, ammo everywhere. Like, really easy to get hold of shotgun cartridges. Sure. Any yep. Walmart or hunting goods store, whatever. They could be out of the more rarer, better weapons ammo, but everybody's going to have shotgun shells. And B, it's easier to maintain. It's less likely to jam... Um, he's got a more of a spray with the the shot, so he doesn't have to be precise in terms of his aiming. Yeah, what, one and done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've got two reasons. One is uh, that his fight or flight reflex is stuck on flight. Uh, as in uh, his reaction every single time will be as soon as a zombie starts running at him uh, is to uh, get run off at a light jog and uh, try to outpace the zombie to find a vantage point to uh, if he's going to fight at all uh, it needs to be you know what he he does with the beginning when he gives them the run around in the car park Mm. Uh, and this is reliant on the zombies being simple program machines that will always do the same thing and they're not cunning. They're not like a Wendigo in New Century. They, they won't go, hang on a second, he's already run around this car park once. I'll just change direction. At the end, uh, there's a point where uh, Wichita and Little Rock are being pursued by uh, zombies in the theme park and Wichita actually stops and shoots a few zombies with her shotgun while the horde c- comes in. That is a ludicrous decision because even if you had enough shells to take out the entire horde, the dispatching and reload time is you don't have it. You have seconds before they're on you. There is no point shooting them. Abandon the idea of shooting them. That is where his flight uh, reflex would have been way better than uh, um, attempting to fight. She, It confuses the... Um, their escape at that point they end up running themselves into that up and down um, machine which is effectively a bathroom it's got no exit to it mm-hmm. um okay so reason number one for the double barrel shotgun he's he's stuck on flight but then when he has to get to fight all he needs is the double tap that's all he's prepared for one at a time uh, one yeah. shell two shells and, and then, i'm done yeah if the double tap doesn't work i have no backup yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And, the, and you sort of see it like he's when Bill Murray surprises him. Mm. Yeah, he like he he dispatches Bill Murray really quickly mm. uh, because he can't he can't back out. It's by like, the way, folks fucking... who've never seen Zombieland, that took them by surprise, just like it did in the film. <laughs> Bill Murray's in this as himself. Okay, continue. Uh, yeah, and and also like that bit's a really great bit because you so really like there's those other characters who they react like the audience react you know you you you're watching little rock in Tallahassee like like being so shocked and you're like right with it um but yeah yeah but back onto it like yeah when he's cornered yeah he he he's got he's got his trusty reliable uh easy to maintain weapon yeah 
I wonder if that also fits in with the rule stuff of like, um, you know, his liking of familiarity and that he's, you know, carting around the same suitcase and all of that sort of mm. thing, you know, he's keeping things consistent. Mm. And so whether he chose that weapon at the start and then that's it, whereas Tallahassee cycles through them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's backed up as well by the fact that he even uses his uh, double-barreled for the um, the funeral. And has to stop and reload. Uh, it, he's, he's in a safe situation. He could pick up literally yeah. any gun that would be more appropriate for the, uh, the salute, mm. but he sticks yeah. with the thing he knows. Yeah. And everyone else yeah. has to abide by his limitations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a really subtle detail where right at the end, we, Amy and I notice it, and he's he's doing the face-off with the clown and he's... um. Uh, he gets out a little snap lock bag and he's cl- and it's clearly he's been keeping his ammo in a snap lock bag like, <laughs> <laughs> for the fear of germs. So, so I thought it was great. Keeps them dry, keeps uh, them crispy, outlines uh, that with the golden <laughs> grains at the beginning. I like zip lock bags too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next section is privacy. Everyone in the film seems to hold their cards quite close to their chest. Uh, we're going to look at Wichita in the context of the fact that everyone goes by place names rather than the names they had before the world went zombie mad. Um, what positive sides of remaining fairly private does Wichita experience and what negative sides, again, post and pre-Zombieland? You know, between you, me, and what about Bob? You're actually kind of cute. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you get the guts of a guppy, but I could hit that. Really? Or at least give you the intention to walk to first, <laughs> The thing that really interests me about, I mean, her and her sister, are uh, that you get the sense from really subtle things that they've had a hard time before everything sort of went to shit zombie-wise, that there's a feeling that they've been through something together. There's kind of a couple of comments about, you know, Little Rock not having a childhood anyway. Um, And there's kind of a, um, you know, even the way they've had to survive beforehand and them scamming people and things like that, there's kind of a, you know, us-against-the-world kind of vibe um, pre-zombies and so I sort of feel like her guardedness hasn't come about just through this process it's been there for quite a while it serves I think for her to keep focused on her goal and what's her goal her goal is to look after Little Rock mm. so I think I think that's sort of that's how I read the, the purpose of it. it I think that it's quite clear there's a, a, a longing for connection mm. Similar to Columbus, yeah. but it's it's different, obviously. And it yeah, it feels like a sort of chronic trauma response that she's sort of having to put up the walls and keep other people out, um, and that she's learned that, and that's quite solidified. Mm. And it's sort of interesting the moments when she drops it. I think when she realizes that Columbus has lost his family. Yeah. Also, there's like sort of a moment where she sees him being strong. Uh, strong and predictable, whereas we thought that Tallahassee is, he's strong but unpredictable. He's unsafe. Mm. And so I think we read this sort of very much like a trauma, uh, like sort of someone who's experienced some kind of trauma and that 
they do it to manage the world to keep it safe, but in a different way. Like it's not the rules based way that mm. Columbus has. It, it, it's sort of this different way. Mm. I think as well the fact that they, if you if you look underneath the surface, they have anxieties that match each other, but they've developed yeah. in different situations. So his anxieties have developed in an environment where the only person he's had to worry about is himself. So they've kind of fed off themselves and, and amplified and, and exacerbated. What do you mean? To make things worse. Right. Whereas her anxieties are, they've had a focus point in the sense that she has Little Rock to look after, in the sense yeah. that they've got to be geared towards being protective towards someone else and in effect often normalising not normal situations and as you say amy in their in their pre-apocalypse lives there's clearly a, a a way that they've lived that's not in step with everyone else this is not something that's just magically transformed them when when the zombies hit so she's been doing this for a long time the same as he has but again, yeah. it's that that difference in focus and the difference in the way that it's directed, and it's it's a little stereotypical in the sense that a lot of um, I, I think women's approaches and anxieties are often shaped the way they are because society expects them to be taking care of other people. Um, mm. So that in a way that kind of gives you that demarcation between the two of them. But then as they start to get to know each other better the commonalities come through and that's what ultimately ends up with them being able to um, to create that family is, is finding the ways that they match rather than the ways that they've, they've had to direct it differently. But the, the thing about the, the not using their own names, this was something that occurred to me and I know Alex is going to talk about the whole place name concept, but until he meets them, Columbus doesn't have a name at all. We don't know who he is. Wichita and Little Rock never call each other by their own names, even though clearly they knew each other by different names before the other people turned up. They stick with those pseudonyms to the exclusion of everything else. And I think that kind of ties in with the idea of if that they come to at the end, that if you aren't around other people, you might as well be a zombie. If you aren't around other people, what's the name for? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think even Tallahassee, I think it was Tallahassee says no names. Yeah. No mm. names. Isn't yeah, it? that's an improvised uh, um, scenario that they, they he, he says he's heading to Columbus and Tallahassee starts calling him Columbus as mm. a result. Yeah. Mm. Even uh, 406 and the fictional Beverly Hills don't actually get <laughs> names. They, uh, it's, it's almost like Columbus in his head because he like he's the guy that we're with the whole way through. He's our narrator. Like, he can't go back to that time when people had names, which is kind of a I cannot. This relates to the nostalgia section, uh, which, uh, which we're going to cover with Little Rock. But it's kind of a an evolution of uh, nomenclature, if you will, uh, that you you it's no longer needed. There are so few people. You don't need to need the specific names anymore. Just the idea that they came from somewhere. Um, only Bill fucking Murray retains his crew name. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, but also it, it provides safety in that, like, this, this is who I am now. It's kind of like, I'll let you in at my own pace and everyone else respects that. Yeah. Like, you know, there's this kind of, we're all in this together and I'll respect that I won't, I won't ask you questions and, and you won't ask me questions. It's kind of. 
Yeah, and it also has a sort of um, temporary feel to it. Like there's, you know, no point connecting with another person's name or another person's story because what are the chances that you're all actually going to still be around soon? Yeah. Like it's, um, you know, that kind of conserving your energy for survival. Yeah, and you sort of see that in lots of war films, mm. I think. And even like uh, for some reason I think like prison tr- prison dramas and stuff like that where they don't, you know, people won't go into their backstory. It's mm. it's it's just I'm, I'm, I'm this person. Yeah. Only guilty man in Shawshank. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right about the, the war situation. That's often something that, that comes up in um, particularly Vietnam stories where people get nicknames based on where they come from. And mm. having moved around a lot... I've there was text. He was from Kansas. <laughs> yeah, That's indeed. Forrest even if it's Even if it's ironic, <laughs> yeah. Um, but having moved around a lot as a kid, there's there's a little bit of an element of that when somebody is is new. It's a way of, um, I suppose, almost marking them as as you're not in our group yet. We're gonna you're gonna be nicknamed for where you come from until the point where we accept you, and then you're from here. Um, yeah. So there's there's sort of that facet of it as well mm. see actually i've got an unusual first name and so i am um, everyone remembers my name or growing up they did and i so i'm really really bad at remembering other people's names <laughs> and, um like really like i have to make a huge amount of effort to try and remember stuff and um but like some oh that person's from this place like I will I, that's a piece of information I'll actually retain so like so the way my brain works like it kind of it, it fits like I could imagine that I would probably like oh yeah yeah that's Tallahassee over there yeah. but like, I wouldn't remember if his name was Jim or Andrew or whatever it was like so <laughs> but there's there's also kind of a bit of a question mark over what those place names relate to because technically speaking Columbus is headed for Columbus. He's not come from there, although that's obviously where his parents come from. One assumes that Wichita and Little Rock come from the same place, and yet their names are... uh, They give themselves names that are are separated by a state or two. Well, there's the ghost of a subtext there, which um, Wisecrack uh, picked up on. All of them have names that are are either Native American uh, names or Native American places or very specifically tied to Native American history and their clashes with colonials, all of them apart from Columbus, which is a little on the nose. Elements of manifest destiny there as they're all heading west, like the wagon train. Uh, It starts off that they're actually kind of heading east and then they switch around because the uh, ladies want to go to Pacific Playland mm-hmm. and just all head west. And then when they get to the Native American store by the side of the road, they trash mm-hmm. the place. But it's not in like a Jesus smashing up the moneylenders sort of. You know, this is a you know, horrendous co-modification of a people that were conquered. Just, just trashing it and having fun and, and uh, enjoying smashing up what they see as tacky shit effectively they're moving across a nation that used to be one thing then became another and is now a third thing again altogether Mm. and they're not engaging with it on the level of what it was before they're taking it as literally what it presents them immediately in front of them Mm. smashing things up because it's fun not because it's it's particularly malicious or destructive that really dovetails with this thought, which I just one comment I had, which is like, it's like the Wild West. Mm. Like, is it, you know, it's 
there's sort of no rules. It's free and easy. And they act that way. They like, despite all their apparent clear anxieties mm. and, and trauma responses, they are amazingly, was it nonchalant, nonchalant yeah. liaison affair, yeah. like kind of the way, ways in which they just kind of do stuff. Fascinating and confusing all at the same time. Mm. I wonder if there's an element of they're trying to connect with each other in a way that they're not trying to connect with the land they're moving through. And I, I would tie that specifically to the fact that when they make the decision to stop going east and start going west instead, it's it's because Wichita says to Columbus that Columbus has burned to the ground and there's nothing left there. And yeah. she could be lying. She could just be saying that because that, that's the direction that she wants to go in and she wants to deter him from going back that way. But when she realises how much it means to him, she gives him an opportunity to detach and go and check it out for himself which he yeah. declines. So that, in a way, that's him dropping the barrier. That's the sort of the first instance of him kind of making himself vulnerable to someone else because he's he's accepting at face value her information that it's gone mm. so uh. that he can stay with her. With Tallahassee, it was just, okay, we're both going roughly in the same direction. We might as well stick together. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Alex is doing the, the hitchhiking thumb gesture. Um, but, but yeah, exactly. That's that's a tag along. That's not a, um, a connection. Him deciding yeah. to, to be with Wichita in the face of not going and checking something out for himself, which is very antithetical to how he's lived his life so far, is the first mm. indication that he is really changing himself for mm. other people. And it's risky for both of them, really, because, you know, Wichita has has that rule about, you know, not um, trusting, you know, trusting anyone else, that it's just the two of them. So she's take, they're both taking a risk in that in that moment. And, and it's played really lightly. Like they, you know, it's really, really subtle. There's no words. They just sort of look at each other and it's sort of unspoken. Mm. And I think... Um, it's sort of the first sort of time you really sort of see Columbus start sort of moving out of that fight and flight mode. Mm. You know, he when he's when he's got the thumb out, he that that hand is shaking, right? Um, and then sort of he's he's sort of gradually, you know, becoming okay. Okay, I think I can be safe here. Mm. I think you know, and he's not always in that mode, and and but I think I can do that. And she sort of responds to, okay, I think I can trust this guy a little bit more. I understand him a bit more. So if I can understand him, I can predict him. Yeah. He's safer. One tiny little thing I noticed, and this, again, so much of this could just be me reading too much into it, uh, but the uh, hairstyles on Wichita and Little Rock. Um, Wichita, like Emma Stone's fringe is way down over her eyes. Her eyes are kind of peeking out from underneath it. It's a very guarded fringe. But Little Rock, Abigail Breslin's hair is swept way back. You've got this, like, she's got this open forehead, and she tends to be a bit more frank about things and, and sort of you know, speak her mind. And it's not necessarily that Wichita is particularly reserved, but Wichita is cool in, in that kind of, like, I'm just going to, you know, I'll, I'll observe more and then make my assessments. And uh, But again, the, the fringe is kind of a, a face guard. Yeah. And as has already been said... All four of them seem to regard this group as a temporary situation. They are only going as far as Pacific Playland and then they'll probably, you know, part company and they, they, they don't want to invest 
and or, or really trust, which is obviously the, the big thing they have to sort of get over at the end. But that suggests that when they're kind of more of a proto-family and they admit that about themselves, they might open up a little bit more. They might sort of relinquish this privacy. Now, obviously, this could be entirely stymied by Zombieland 2 if 10 years later they still don't know shit about each other. You know, we, we don't know. We can only assess Zombieland 1 at this stage. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly. And they seem surprised when when the the boys turn up to rescue them. Mm. They're like they 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 didn't expect that to happen. Mm. They, yeah, didn't they don't expect-, expect a reliable connection. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, and in psychology terms, we sort of label them as having, well, definitely Wichita as having disorganized attachment. Yeah. So if you're a psych nerd, you'll know what that means. <laughs> do you want to uh, summarize it? Oh, maybe Amy can do it better than I. <laughs> yeah, so generally for disorganized attachment, it's kind of that you're anxious about connection and then you're also anxious about um, separation. So there's often you see people doing stuff like in kids, it's stuff like they'll approach their parent to hit them. Or in adults, you see people sort of like, you know, starting arguments or things like that with the person they care about to make them go away. So there's this kind of confusion between do I want you near me or do I want you to leave? I don't really want either. Yeah. Both are distressing. Yeah. Like you, know, you become close to somebody and so they, and so they, you, that you then push them away because yeah. you, you, you start to wig out about the fact that they're getting close to you. And it usually comes from, um, well, it always pretty much comes from childhood trauma and not having someone who's secure or stable in those early years. So that again, hints back to, what their upbringing might have been like, that they didn't have an adult figure to rely on. Mm. There's also the fact that their, uh, their old way of doing things, if although by sheer fluke it does get them what they need twice in this mm. new way of doing things. Grifting, you they're, mean. Yeah, they're, they're grifting. If Tallahassee and Columbus hadn't come along... What were they going to do? One assumes they haven't seen any other people for months. So how did they think that this plan might work? It, it's not going to work on zombies. So <laughs> their, their way of living, which has become stuck, is not adapting to the way things are now. They mm. need people to grift for their old way of life to work. Also, they are immensely lucky they met two men who were not murderous in order to say stay alive that bit where columbus hands tallahassee the shotgun to shoot little rock while they're doing that she's been bitten by a zombie grift they are trusting that there will be even a moment's hesitation in this guy who looks like woody harrelson i might add (laughs) who who behaves the way he behaved out there with the zombies this guy is kill crazy that there's no reason to believe that the next step of the plan is going to work i'll do it nah and then he just shoots your sister that is an incredibly risky bid it would have been easier for them to just sneak out and hotwire the car while these guys were inside smashing up the zombies with a banjo i keep on coming back to the trauma stuff with them of that kind of um inaccurately reading danger and then inaccurately reading how successful your survival strategy is going to be. Mm. Like they sort of haven't quite, um, you know, seen what the risks are with that approach, but Mm. they're kind of going for it anyway because that's all they've got. Um, It's kind of, it's adaptive and then it's also really not adaptive at all. It's instinctual rather than thought out, I think. yeah. And they're relying on the fact that they can read those two guys enough to know the moment when they can kind of 
flip things around. Yeah. And also that when they do flip it around that like, she's like so calm. Mm. And uh, whereas, you know, you could imagine that guy like, yeah, he could have just lunged like, at like her. Like if I was if I was yeah. going to do that, I'd be like freaking out right at that <laughs> moment. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting. We did wonder whether they were already on kind of a pilgrimage to um, mm. Pacific land before the zombie apocalypse. When you see that thing with the ring in the um, petrol station, about because they talk about going east, whether they've got enough um, enough money to mm. keep on going and. Um, hang on, West. West, yeah, west. I was going to say. <laughs> um, whether they were already starting on that trip and then they've just continued it despite mm. the fact that zombies have come up or whether it's, yeah, whether it's something new. Which yeah. would tie in with the idea that their their momentum from their previous life is just carrying them forwards. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of any new information that might come up in the meantime. I think unless there's any more to say about privacy, that brings us on to chronic nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So of all the members of the group of four in this story, it's probably Little Rock who is the most nostalgic, which is unusual since she's the youngest. Usually it's it's adults who long for a time before everything went to shit. So, where are you guys headed? Pacific Playland. The amusement park? Wait, outside LA? Yeah, we went there as kids. <laughs> that place totally blows my mind it's it's so fun just good entertainment for the whole family yeah she she's looking back to a time that's not a great proportion of her life like if they were traveling west already that suggests that zombie land hasn't really been the norm for all that long Mm. and also um i think you you asked us on twitter how long do you think this has actually been going on for it can't really be that long because there'd actually be a lot more overgrowth plants start growing up through concrete i've watched a whole bunch of documentaries apparently if left unattended for about five minutes by humans paint cans will explode like grenades that the world will be reclaimed by nature as soon as we stop maintaining that concrete maintaining the bridges maintaining the buildings mm. so I'd, I'd say it's been two years max yeah there is also yeah, well, the fact that there is no nature we don't see a lot in the way mm. of wild animals you know even even raccoons and foxes filling areas where humans once were but are no longer and yet there are corpses everywhere so there's a ready supply of food mm-hmm. if it had been a very long time there'd be animals in there yeah yeah, rats and things like that. Uh, there is there is a little moment where they say something about like months after Columbus says months. Yeah, yeah. months after patient zero had taken a bite of something. Yeah. Uh, you know, mad yeah. cow turned to mad zombie kind of thing. Yeah. So, and you know, they've got power. We we be confused because like they were talking about having a shower, and so they but and they haven't had a shower, but they seem to have power given that they're so sort of in this really just day to day hour-to-hour kind of survival thing. Like, it said to me months at at most. I also thought thought that perhaps it had spread quickly because things like the grocery stores and stuff like that weren't completely ransacked. Like, people hadn't done the mass preparation. Mm. 
on a large scale. So yeah, or, the, or like my favourite bit, which is the woman driving the minivan and all the <laughs> the little baby zombies. The little, um, that you know, it sort of seems like it's just come out of nowhere, like normality. Yeah, but they're like, still having a birthday party and then <laughs> yeah, zombies. Yeah, yeah. It feels more like something like a, a a virus in the stand where it goes airborne and takes out many many people at the same time. Well, it's it's kind of preposterous that so many people like that. The, the world is so empty. It it's required for this but for the world to get that empty actually requires year after year after year of yeah. starvation and like and uh, that's that suggests people having time to at least adapt moderately and start yeah. to move away from the civilization centers so that they are less at risk but there is a suggestion that there are other people out there when the zombie killer of the week goes to that lady with the piano that's mm-hmm. a, it's, it's kind of a douglas adams uh, terry pratchett side note but at the same time <laughs> <clears throat> it, it suggests that that beyond the narrative of the film, there's other stuff going on. It's not quite as dead as it might seem. Mm. Yeah, and they don't seem surprised about Bill Murray's there and that I hooked up with Beverly Hills. You know, like, it sounds like there's people around. Mm-hmm. You yeah. just don't see them. Uh, yeah. you know, I saw Eddie Van Halen the other day. <laughs> How is he? He's a zombie. <laughs> And that might actually then give a bit more explanation as to why Wichita and Little Rock are still running the grift, because there are still the odd person mm. here and there yeah. for it to work on. But according to most other zombie fiction, uh, the people surviving will be uh, relegated into two groups, you know, decent-hearted survivors who uh, are able to sort of work together, and psychopaths. In the case of the documentary game by Capcom, uh, Dead Rising, psychopathic, unicycle-riding, chainsaw-juggling clowns what are invincible. <laughs> that boss fight. I think you just <laughs> described Columbus's worst nightmare. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like that, The clown that he takes out is easy relative to that clown. I hated that thing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, yeah, it's... We are spared the ugliness of how horrible people can be in the face of uh, an apocalypse like this. I think this might be one of the only instances where that's the case. Because mm, yeah. usually the apocalypse is used to explore the dark heart of humanity. Yeah, although what, what you said about it's, it's unusual for a, a young character to be... Um, nostalgic. sort of nostalgic and, and fixated on how things were and that kind of makes it feel almost like a trauma induced thing whereas with older people they've seen the world change around them very gradually over a long period of time mm. and they just at some point hit tipping point and where they're like, the world's got too many different things and what's new seems weird and scary exactly. to me. And, you know, that hits people at various stages of their life. Some people it hits when you're in your mid-30s. Mm. But the, the point being that you then start thinking, well, you know, back when I was a kid, things were easier mm. and more straightforward and can't we go back there then because that was nicer and thank you. Whereas with uh, Little Rock, it's more of a, there's a very definite this happened life before was easier even though they were they was obviously still living on the road and doing the grifting thing um well, she's nostalgic for a, a period before that it seems yeah i i wonder about whether the whatever happened to them before zombieland happened between their childhood visit to pacific playground and then the zombie apocalypse mm. because she's not wanting just to go back to the time when they weren't zombies. She's wanting to go back earlier. Like mm. the kind of, it feels like, you know, the last time I was a kid kind of vibe. Yeah. yeah. And, and Wichita is very on board with that. And you, you see when they finally get there, you know, that 
she's basking in that. And I kind of started to think about Little Rock as sort of actually sort of a projection of Wichita's inner child mm. that she's trying to protect and look after and that, and that actually that Wichita had to cleave off in order to protect, which is what you see in, mm. in sort of trauma kind of stuff. But, I mean, or another way that I sort of maybe perhaps read it was before I sort of really thought deeply about it, but I, I just sort of wondered maybe just Little Rock is just like she's just a child and that she's mm. been protected and, and so therefore, like I didn't see it as nostalgia, it's just as like a child wants what a child wants. Yeah. Is, is, it yeah. would be a, perhaps a counter view, but I'm, I'm not convinced it's the correct view. But I think also with, with that kind of viewpoint, it's also that, you know, it feels like all of the adults, even Tallahassee, who's, who can be, you know, a bastard to everyone else, it, are trying to protect her view of the world and the view that, that she is going to be able to go on the rides and things when she gets there. Like he stops himself from um, devaluing it too much. There's kind of like a we're all going to protect the kid kind of vibe. Yeah, no, they, they, you would expect the scene to be there is nothing there for you. Yeah, and you're you know this crusade is, is like, but it's a child, so you can't really shout it at a child. But again, you can imagine that scene where Little Rock's crying as she knows that what you're saying is true, but she's been holding on to that nostalgia yeah. in this case is a double-edged sword on the one hand it actually prevents you a little from adapting they end up doing something really quite foolish and going in there and uh, and making a huge lot of noise when zombies are attracted to noise and movement and lights and, and all of that yeah. but but on the other hand that little kernel of hope of finding that thing is keeping them going is stopping them from lying down in the middle of the road and just giving up and dying and they yeah. never really talk about finding people. They're a very insular group. They're never like looking for other survivors like themselves. They don't, they don't want to pick up sticks and go and settle somewhere. That's not their intention. They just want to keep moving. And I think it's possibly because that is almost too much of a thing to put your eggs in the basket of. Because that can only almost certainly disappoint you because eventually you're going to meet people and they'll be psychopaths or they'll just try and take what you've got or they'll just try and kill you uh, or they'll just ignore you and say you're too much uh, bothered to be around with people you're you're very reliant on them individually with pacific land as long as it's not burned to the ground you can still go there it's quantifiable I get the sense that they haven't been used to trusting people anyway Mm. so it's kind of like you know it's it's not a huge jump for them to go from, it's not like they've gone from, you know, people are trustworthy and, you know, you can have connection and support and then everything's gone to shit and there's zombies everywhere. It's kind of like, well, this is just an extension. Like people aren't reliable. People are threatening. Mm, people it's are just, zombies. People are zom- yeah. zombies. They're just, yeah. I have two thoughts. Um, one, one was that whole Pacific Playland thing is very much like, um, the, there's a very famous book on death and dying by Kubler-Ross and she and people will have heard it pop culture like it's the stages of grief or the stages of adjusting to dying this kind of thing and one of the stages in that is um, called bargaining now this this theory has kind of been a bit discredited but actually in the work that I do with cancer patients I think it's quite interesting to think about and the bargaining stage is the way that people um, so the context of that book is that this academic, she interviewed people who were terminally ill and wrote their stories and so that the medical community would think about how people 
adjust to these difficult situations. And so there's denial, like, I'm not going to die. You know, this is all wrong. And then there's anger. I'm angry. This is unfair. And then, like, the, the way that this author posits it, the third stage is bargaining, which is really like, if I do X, I'll be okay. Mm. So in, in a terminally ill situation, it's like, if I just see my 14-year-old son finish high school, yeah. I'll be happy, right? Um, but the, the, you, what you're doing is you're putting off the pain, yeah. Yeah, um, this kind of thing. And the problem is that once that child <clears throat> finishes high school, they go, well, actually, I've got a, I've got a granddaughter and I want to yeah. see them do blah. Like, so it, it's sort of repetitive. And so I very much viewed their Pacific Playland quest in that realm if i can just get there then it'll be okay i was thinking something similar actually because it's ultimately a theme park is a temporary stop you don't go to a theme park to live it's not even a hotel unless there are hotels in it but specifically it's something that you do for the day Mm. and they've chosen like a you know a small one that they've been to before as well it's not like they're setting you know, camp in Disneyland or anything like that. Yeah, to it's like go on every day. Disneyland would probably be a really good place to head for in a zombie apocalypse because, like, yeah. it's so secure and well protected that there'd, there'd be no zombies in there as long as it was uh, empty <laughs> when it hit. Or it would be a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see Chip and Dale feasting upon the bones of Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did like that. There's a they, they they do shoot a Charlie Chaplin on the street, yeah. <laughs> like nice. uh, at one point. That was pretty funny. The, the other the other other comment that I was just thinking about on in on our pod one time we um, Amy talked about an article about nostalgia, yeah, and that originally nostalgia was thought. All I can remember is that it was originally thought to be sort of like a little bit like a mental illness, yeah, in that it sort of takes over people, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's sort of all consuming. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder about nostalgia in Zombieland with Tallahassee as well, with, you know, the Twinkie and with sort of about what that's about. I mean, although when telling my sister last night that we were going to record this, she cracked it at me and and said, you know, that we couldn't pull it apart, that, you know, the man just wants a, trin- a Twinkie, let him have a Twinkie. Slammed <laughs> 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 her fist on the table. But um, I wonder about where, what purpose that serves in terms of nostalgia as well it seems like that's a moment of that for him yeah Yeah. well if you if you interpret uh buck as his inner child in the same way that that little rock can be seen as wichita's that's it's it's a much younger version so it thirsting for such a, a childlike treat such a simple pleasure uh, that kind of ties in with that. There is a time limit to it. There's a, a fleeting nature to Twinkies. He illustrates with the baseball bat that they do have expiration dates, contrary to popular belief, and eventually life's little Twinkie gauge is going to go zero, and which suggests that he's, he's chasing this ray of light which is constantly diminishing and that he's set himself this task that requires him to keep moving with urgency rather than just i can uh, pacific playland will always be there i'll get there in the end i mean even pacific playland has an expiration date it will eventually corrode into nothing Mm. um when the power goes out those rides are useless yeah pretty much everything in zombieland will eventually become nothing even the things that take its place will 
render down, but he's focused on something very specific. And th- there was a, a lot of articles when the Twinkie like, hostess actually went bankrupt and Twinkies were taken off the shelves because they, they weren't there to make them anymore. And then eventually someone else bought uh, Twinkies and started making Twinkies again. So uh, it, th- there were lots of articles related to Zombieland going, if Zombieland happened now, he couldn't get Twinkies. <laughs> but... <laughs> It gives him a driving force, yeah. doesn't it? It's it, that's his specific playland. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also an element of of tying nostalgia in with um, with homesickness, with a, a particular type of of homesickness that a, a couple of cultures have specific words for. Um, they call it hiraith in uh, Welsh, and there's a, a specific word for it in Portuguese, I think, as well. But it it, it is the idea that you are longing for something that you know you can never have back there's an Mm. acknowledgement in it which doesn't seem to be present in the sort of americanized form of nostalgia which is if we get enough plastic toys we can recreate that period in our lives But there are yeah. changes in their perspective as uh, because of what Zombieland has done. And I've already mentioned the uh, simulation idea of it. But they are detached and depersonalized from the world uh, to the point where they, specifically um, uh, Tallahassee, are able to dispatch zombies without thinking of them as former people at all. They effect- mm-hmm. they almost gamify it in terms of it's, it's just a way of uh, uh, passing the time. They treat their looting in much the same way. Effectively, the whole of America has become their sandbox, their playground. Uh, it's, there's even that bit at the beginning where it zooms out of the earth and it, it seems so much smaller. And the objects on the earth, like fairground rides, now uh, way bigger. So the nation itself has actually kind of shrunk and everything is there for amusement. The whole place has become a theme park, not real. That's one of the uh, uh, the aspects of theme parks is they present you with like a main street and they go, look, this is the street. It's not a street. It's just a corridor that they funnel you down with shops with overpriced food on either side Nobody to get you to the there. right. Those, those house fronts yeah. are fake. <laughs> the, they're engaging with the world in a way that minimizes their having to think too much about what was there before. Mm. Yeah. 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 And I think it dovetails very strongly with what I've read about, say, black humour in emergency um, mm. emergency workers, but also, like, um, Amy and I, you know, have dreadful black humour that <laughs> about situations that occur um, in our workplaces and things like that, that, you know, I think it, it is just a genuine way. And I think that's one of the strengths of this film. And I think that's why it's kind of relatable. Like, I, could, I, I can imagine a world of, like, the 28 Days Later mm. kind of just you know, so much fear and anxiety and everything about about everything and it's just so horrific. But then also I could imagine it kind of just being kind of humorous and, you know, and I wondered about like dual features of 
the aggressiveness of the zombies um, and how virulent, I can never say that word, um, the, the, the virus is, and then also the accessibility of weapons um, and maybe even a third thing of like how easy they are to dispatch. I think all those things kind of play into the fact that, you know, you can actually survive with, you know, a little bit of bravery and a list of rules or that kind of thing and, you know, you can get by, whereas... Mm-hmm. 28 days. I was trying to do a list of like the most scariest zombies to the <laughs> least scariest zombies. And like 28 days, where's my list? I can't even see it. Mm. Well, yeah, 28 days later, that was that was pr- like the worst in my mind of the films I've seen. Then there was World War Z or Z. Um, and then I, th- I, I couldn't work out whether Zombieland and Shaun of the Dead, whether they were uh, more aggressive, more scary or not. Uh, the sort of on par. But- Speed. It's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you had to dispatch them with their head because yeah. there was a record-throwing yeah. scene in that movie that was great. <laughs> but um, I went off on a tangent there. <laughs> That's fine. By the way, folks, if you want a combination of the uh, uh, existential dread of 28 Days Later and the humour of Zombieland, New Century. <laughs> But yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, the first book I wrote, um, the Cartographer's Handbook, was very much inspired by World War Z, and it was very book, not film. Coded like this is exactly what we need to do to move forward, and it's effectively a piece of propaganda, an in-world document. And I was like, I can't keep writing along these lines. It would depress the hell out of me. Mm. It's so mechanical. And I'm glad it exists, but it need, the next one, like, I need to get into this narrative I've had knocking around in my head. Yeah. And it's more the zombie survival guide, isn't it, than uh, World War World Z? World yeah, War well, Z. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of the two. Mm. But then I needed to make it more fun. And then with Tiger's Eye, I was like, right, we can make it more profound and feel more spiritual. And then with uh, Arlington, it was like, yeah, we can make this more like the West Wing and going back and forth and a lot of very various powerful people trying to get things to work against a system which is presenting them with obstacles and then with the princess thieves it's like right imagine if the british dealt with the uh zombies or wendigos in a completely different way and it was actually just sort of cup of tea kind of like completely different and you can actually get a lot of humor out of that situation and not relegating myself to just one style has both allowed me to keep writing with great momentum and uh, create uh, what I feel is a really rich world and prevented the books from ever becoming popular because people like just one genre. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Convincing Annie was considerably more difficult. Much of the afternoon was spent pursuing her. No. Captain, please hear me out. No. Consider the greater ramifications. No. Give me your reasoning why not. Please. First and foremost, we have no idea what this crazy bastard could feed you. I'm right here. I know, and I don't care. I'm familiar with eating mushrooms from the forest, and a bunch of them can kill you. Raven, would you please tell her what they are and where you got them? Met a wizard in Mexico City. Asked him if he had anything that would expand my consciousness. He traded me three horses for this bag. He held up a small, crumpled package. It was a lot more full at the time. Are they likely to induce a powerful transportive state? Yeah, they'll get you pretty fucked up. But ultimately, all of the uh, New Century books do have in common with this last um, section, which is uh, grief and loss. Uh, Everyone in uh, New Century has lost someone. And as Rocket Raccoon said, we've all got dead people. Uh, But I would argue that Tallahassee feels this the most in the film, and he attempts to show it the least 
he describes early on a puppy named Buck that he adored back in the old world and who was taken from him. And later on in the third act, Columbus realizes that Buck was, in fact, a human boy and Tallahassee's son. And this is clearly so painful that the man is not able to talk about it directly. And it seems like he was would not have been able to really talk about his pain before that because he's just not that kind of open person. But once again, what are the benefits and drawbacks before and after civilization crumbles of not really confronting grief? Because there are still benefits to it. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense when you've got the whole survival overlay in terms of zombie land. Like if, if he pauses and grieves too long, then um, it's going to compromise his own survival. Uh, and it's also, you know, it's risky being vulnerable like that um and he he doesn't seem ready to be to take that risk Mm. yeah and then you know that same thing kind of functions in the real world with grief as well it's it's um a scary thing and it's a it's a risk to sit with it and feel it and so it's quite protective to kind of um shut it off where you can i think also for him i wondered about whether that grief ever would have come to the surface if it was just him and Columbus. Like there's something about the four of them and having the girls there as well that seems to allow him the space. Um, In part, that could be the fact that he's got a child to connect with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And I like, I think therapeutically you see with people like you have to do work with people before they're ready to talk about the difficult stuff. And one of the things you learn as a, as a, I certainly learned as a therapist was you like, do not go hell for leather for their pain um, until you are confident that they can handle it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and he try he sort of like my reading, I think you messaged us about like, was he deliberately trying to, you know, mislead Columbus. Like, I think maybe he was try he was testing the waters, mm. but then also I don't. But I, the way I sort of read it was that he was um, he was not ready to say those things. He was not ready to get to get to that place. And the only time you sort of see it is when they're all still, yeah. you know, and they're all they. And it kind of comes on him sort of in an unplanned way mm. and it comes out and, you know, and then it, and then it's sort of, and then the next day, you know, the girls leave and, um, and then what does he do? He starts talking about, well, do you know what uh, Twinkies are in um, Mexico? You know, yeah. Los Submarinos or something. <laughs> and he, he flips right back into, I am, I'm in my protective mode and I'm back on yeah. this thing. And this thing will be the thing that's going to be okay. And he's, you know, and he's sort of looting Bill Murray's house as yeah. well. So. <laughs> you are a dangerous man. You're going to risk our lives for a Twinkie? There's a box of Twinkies in that grocery store. Not just any box of Twinkies. The last box of Twinkies that anyone will enjoy in the whole universe. Believe it or not, Twinkies have an expiration date. Someday very soon, life's little Twinkie gauge is going to go empty. Time to nut up or shut up. Well, it definitely ties in with what you were saying about the... the uh, black sense of humour in in uh, emergency situations, and having worked in emergency services myself, it, it's it's a thing that people do. Compartmentalising mm. is essential in that context because otherwise you literally can't do your job because you'd be too tied up with the uh, your empathy for the people that you're trying to help, which can 
freeze you in certain circumstances, especially if it starts uh, releasing memories that of things that you've been through that tie into that it it just it would become too overwhelming for you to do what you needed to do which in their particular context is to survive in fact we talked about this with um when we did the inside out show sadness is a a very basic emotion and one of the purposes of sadness is that when we find a, a space that is safe it grinds us to a halt so that we can assess all of those things that we've stored up, that grief we haven't dealt with yet, uh, the, the sense of things that we've lost, because they do need to be processed. You can't compartmentalise them forever. That is not a sustainable situation. You can do it short term to enable you to to get through this particular scenario, but you have to find somewhere that you can stop. Otherwise, it will become... Uh, either either best case scenario it becomes locked in and it's it's difficult for you to feel worst case scenario it's going to start emerging in other ways that then become uh, threatening to your survival and the survival of the people around you Mm -hmm. exactly this ties in uh, with two things we've just talked about one uh, your i've got to um, stick around to see my child graduate and now i've got to stick around to see my grandchild graduate that's the uh, giving yourself tasks and then trying to meet them effectively uh, like you're playing an mmo and you're giving yourself a mission to do like, i'm going to do this to set your mind to something even if it means staving off actual development to achieve it uh, but also the MMO side of things and the uh, seeing everything as, as kind of gamified. Um, the big difference between Pacific Playland and Twinkies is that Pacific Playland is one place. You get there, you see what it's like. Twinkies, mm. you find a Twinkie, you eat a Twinkie. You move on to yeah, find other Twinkies. Twinkie, yeah. Tallahassee has set himself an infinite task, mm. although yeah. eventually he's going to reach spoiled Twinkies it still allows them to keep going and keep going from place and to place. Sort of, even though that things like that they will spoil as well, he can't know that for certain for quite a while. So he can't know for certain that, that the world is out of Twinkies. Yeah. He Plus can his, keep going for a little bit longer. It, yeah. it his assessments of, I could eat this, will change as the years go by. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually reminds me of... Um, in the Douglas Adams books, I think it, maybe it's in the Hitchhiker's series, there's an immortal being and he chooses to insult the – he's so angry that he's immortal and so he chooses to insult the, everybody in the universe and, and but then he decides to do it um, alphabetically yeah. um, is it because, you know, just to give him something to do. Yeah. And um, it just there's, there's something around that kind of like setting yourself a goal, setting yourself a task. Uh, like I, I've been through difficult periods and setting myself tasks is, is one way in which I work. Well, Twinkies do in fact contain real food. They are truly baked and the official shelf life is a mere 25 days. After this time, <laughs> the Twinkie will continue to exist, but it will diminish greatly in taste and texture. Not the taste, consistency. Mm. That's, that's <laughs> another thing I was going to mention, actually. The fact that the, the task that he sets himself is so specific. They come across a truck full of things that, from a practical perspective, are a perfectly acceptable alternative to a Twinkie. I hate coconut! But he won't have it. And the amount of coconut on those things, it's the, it's the sprinkling on the top, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, there's a lot of coconut there. Oh, like, is there? Okay, if you right. don't like coconut, you're not going to eat that. Right, okay. But they don't even... But, 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 like, Columbus picks up, like, one. Yeah. You know, there's this real... 
for all his rules, even like the most neurotic of them all, um, he they, they still kind of they just have this expectation that they're going to be able to find whatever they want down mm. the road. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, they don't pack stuff at the supermarket when they first. Yeah, yeah like a very fun point. Yeah. Whereas, like, is it? I think it is in twenty eight days later they go to the supermarket and they stock up. Yeah. Like, you know, and there's a few other books. Um, books and, and movies that I've read uh, read and seen where, like, you know, that's clearly what people kind of focused on in, in those narratives. So. Yeah. I mean, even if you want to travel light, if that case he's got is not full of jerky. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, keep keep some, uh, what are they called, the, the pink thingies? Yeah, snowballs. Mm, snowballs. Keep yeah. the snowballs in little baggies. Keep them fresh. <laughs> well, they, they are. They're already in little baggies. Yeah. Double bag it. It's the double tap. <laughs> What's his life going to be like when he can no longer find Ziploc bags? That's the end for Columbus. <laughs> or he has to become slightly less rigid. Good question, actually, because now we can move on to the lies that they must overcome. Don't worry, heat grows on you. Really? No. It gets worse. Okay. How about we play the quiet game? Yeah, starting now. Oh, um, I've actually been meaning to ask you, did you hear anything about uh, Columbus, Ohio? You never played the quiet game? Sorry. No. Well, they're playing it in Columbus, Ohio. It's a total ghost town. It's burned to the ground. Near Columbus. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was... I'm not sure what's more tragic. That my family is gone, or the realization that I never really had much of a family to begin with. Either way, I can't pretend that whatever I'm looking for, I'll find by going home. I have no home. Uh, we can, uh, get you a ride. You know, you can go see for yourself, or settle somewhere new. I could tell she knew what I was feeling. We were all orphans in Zombieland. Uh, all four characters start the movie believing one thing, which by the end, because of their experiences, they are able to work past. So what is the major development for each of them? And in some cases, it's a kind of minor development, or it's a very subtle development, or it's an inferred development. But uh, we'll start with Columbus, because his one's probably the most prominent. Being a hero, uh, you know, like learning how to, from don't be a hero to be a hero, it's like learning how to challenge the rules when the rules, when when it's appropriate to do so. Yeah. Um, and kind of like, you know, he the first time he he unbuckles the seatbelt, um, you know, he, you sort of see him kind of dipping his toe in the water yeah. in that kind of way. Um, and I think for all of them, there's their learning comes back to kind of connection and control. That's what we kept on coming back to again and again of like, you know, um, learning how to make a connection, learning how to reduce the control, all of those kind of kind of things in him you definitely see that develop over time yeah so we, we so there's a, a branch of a branch of therapy called schema therapy and they talk about um uh i hope i hope this is okay the, the psych detail but the, no please the, don't uh, that's why we get you uh, on the, um <laughs> the they talk with these authors um young talks about life traps or schemas schemata which are like psychological 
um, literally schemata that, that you process cognitive, emotional, behavioral, interpersonal information through. And you, there's a whole list of these, you know, abandonment schemas and, um, Oh, I can't think of it. All mistrust, mistrust incompetence, all this kind of stuff. And the way in which that you um, you might have these schemas, like a particular schema, and then you can cope with them through overcompensation, surrender, or avoidance. And we started, to, and I started to think about these characters in this kind of way. In that, Columbus is very much like he's surrendering to the idea of like I have to be in control. I've got these lists. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to get through it. Whereas um, Tallahassee is like overcompensation. He's like, I am not going to, nothing's going to be in control. Yeah. I'm going to knock over that motorbike that you just put up. I'm going to mm. create chaos where there isn't any. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and then the, the last one, avoidance, is really what Little Rock's doing. Like she's avoiding human contact, even though there's not much human contact yeah. there, you know, and she's kind of, you know, she's stepped back and removed is sort of the way that mm. I was sort of conceptualizing it. Yeah. I've got uh, for the four of them uh, with Columbus, flight always supersedes fight because he's very skittish and nervous and doesn't want like the zombies freak him out. Uh, so yeah. and, and we see him at the beginning just running around. He's not so panicked that he can't focus on the list, but his focus is flight, which changes when he cares about someone enough to fight for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tallahassee. The lie he believes is, you are going to be alone. You may as well lean into it. He treats everyone like, he's, he doesn't treat everyone like shit, but he is abrasive with them. And he, you know, he, 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 he jokes about punching them and actually does punch Columbus at what, 40%? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and like, he doesn't go out of his way to draw people to him. And no. by the end, he actually has... T- he doesn't make a majorly magnanimous gesture, but he does risk his ass to go and save the ladies. Mm. Mm. Yeah. In fact, I, the first time I watched it, I I actually thought that he was sacrificing himself. Mm. And it wasn't until the end of that sequence I was like, oh, no, hang on. No, no, no. He's just... He's just crazy and just thinks he can do it, and he actually did it. Yeah. But but the first time I read it, I was I thought he was giving himself up, which was completely. Well, incorrect. I don't know. I think those two things go hand in hand. He's willing to sacrifice himself, and so that kind of plays into the confidence and his ability to do it. He's not scared about what the negative consequence. Um, and then that frees him. And up. That frees him was to it, be able to do it. Was it? Was it? Um, in Point Break, the Patrick Swayze's character so it says, "You know, like hesitation and fear, and it'll bring about your fears." Yeah. Fear causes hesitation. Hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. This is going to be a great day, Johnny. Um, and Little Rock is uh, is actually kind of a very quiet, unspoken thing. You, she never says anything about it, but going to Pacific Playland was the last vestiges of her childhood. She is of a very specific age where she's going to have to grow up. And when we see her in uh, uh, Zombieland 2, she'll be an adult. Um, oh, by the way, Abigail Breslin, what a fantastic actress. Uh, yeah, all of these uh, actors are super. Like, there was a time when Jesse Eisenberg didn't annoy me at all, and it was when I was watching Zombieland. Um, <laughs> but uh, effectively, uh, she has to accept that this part of the past, you can go back to it, but it's covered in zombies. You can go back, but it's covered in zombies. And then that is pretty much going to apply uh, around the rest of the world. It's kind of a. 
a rude awakening for the nostalgia, but that there's also other better things or just different things that are you can rely on that maybe you didn't have before, which is this you know weird fucked up proto family that she's found. Yeah, yeah she's what she's just pre puberty, right? Like, yeah, sort of like that tween. Like in, yeah, like yeah. in like Inside Out, you know, like there's the she was like eleven or something, yeah. you know, like it's yeah. it, 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 just before you get this like really great. Uh, development of abstract thought where you can imagine you know a perfect world and all this kind of yeah. stuff and uh, yeah it's, it's sort of an interesting time psychologically for children and wichita again it's a very quiet one but uh, all i've got really is everybody is a resource is the lie she begins she believes at the beginning that she treats people in terms of how she can take from them and then move on because she doesn't need anybody she just needs to look after her sister effectively by the end she goes you know what you guys are okay I, we can hang out with you not everybody is a resource it's it's a little bit of a give she does also i, I like the fact that she she and columbus it doesn't turn into a big romantic kissing session it's just yeah. a eh, you're okay you're pretty cool yeah i think that again comes back to her ability or difficulty trusting people you know people can serve a function but they're not someone to be relied upon or connected with or anything like that like it's it's part of how she's kept herself safe is to just use people for what they could be helpful with but not actually expect them to do anything of their own volition or to you know provide her with safety um her and columbus have that moment um that gets interrupted and then in, the, in that classic kind of attachment pattern, she leaves the next day. Yeah. You know, she, she, she exposed herself and she's out. Yeah. And you actually see that in therapy a lot where as a therapist, you can ha- see someone once or twice and then they come in and they'll have some like session and they'll be really kind of talk about a whole lot of stuff and you think, oh, wow, you know, like it'll be really interesting to see how they go in the next session and you never hear from them again. Yeah. Like, they, they, or they show up and they refuse to speak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For the ones who are brought by adults, yeah, that, that's the that's the thing. Yeah, no, I yeah. wouldn't work with adults, so that yeah. doesn't happen to me. But yeah, um, but yeah, because they've, they've overreached in terms of what they're ready to yeah. expose, and now they're panicking. Yeah, now I so, wish that we'd brought you guys on for when we did Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great show, but it could have been just that much better. Oh, oh, I love that show. Yeah, great, great <laughs> I just wanted to listen to it. Yeah. it great. Okay. Um, well, it wasn't a great loss then. We, we did okay enough as it is. <laughs> um, okay, so if yep. there is an overriding philosophy of this film, it, I think it really just kind of boils down to the, the conclusion of, well, two conclusions. One is about connection. The other is enjoy the little things. It's like the, the whole film is about, not that, that life sucks. They, they do try to have a little bit of fun while they're going through effectively what they're going through is depression incarnate it's the worst place imaginable it's the the only thing that is absent from it is direct suffering there is the aftermath of suffering and uh, there's obviously zombies around the place all desperate predators trying to kill them it's one of the worst places you could possibly conceive of and yet they are able to have fun and maintain that lightness as a way mm. of staving off the grief on a, a yep. constant, keepy-uppy, temporary basis, mm. giving well, themselves I mean, missions all the time. Yeah, even Bill Murray, he's like, 
uh, like the, the one quote I had for Bill Murray is like, I like to get out and do things. Just walk right on. The more times that I've seen it, the more that kind of um, narrative around connection keeps on coming through mm. again and again. And I am ridiculously excited here because I think I might have an opportunity to quote Margaret Atwood. Please, please. <laughs> but um, there was something that we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago that I went, like there's a line in her new book that fits so perfectly. You've got a photo on your phone. I have a Look photo on my phone because I've been harassing people with quotes from this book because it's amazing. But that one person alone is not a full person. We exist in relation to others. I was one person and I risked becoming no person. And it's that kind of feeling that they, they're not fully themselves until they have that connection with other people that they – they need that to be able to expand outside of their comfort zone to be able to not just survive but to continue living. Mm. See, my mind went to Jin Erso saying, you know, you might as well, you know, if you're just going to take orders, you might as well just be a stormtrooper. <laughs> <laughs> Different uh, frames of reference. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that, that echoes the fact we are social creatures at the end of the day. We do not exist in a vacuum and... One person on their own, regardless of what that person does with the the time span they have, that's it. If you have no connections with anyone else at all, then at the end of your life, what are you leaving behind? If you're if you're not leaving things behind for the people who are around you and come after you, yeah. 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 And one of the ways that you stave off death anxiety is this idea of rippling, of like putting yourself out into the world, whether it's creating, you know, art, novels, books or, you know, science or whatever it is, that that sort of sense of impermanence is alleviated somewhat by kind of knowing that you've had an impact in the world and there is no greater way of knowing that you've been the impact with the world than having a family mm. and being connected to, you know, whether that's having a child or whether that's forming a family of sorts in mm. some way. The two girls uh, had a family and then they were cut loose from that family and had the only impact they had on the world was what they stole. Columbus was playing Warcraft with no permanent surviving friends. Uh, and mm. um, Tallahassee had a family and it was taken from him. So they have to kind of redefine themselves mm-hmm. okay that's more than i thought we could get out of zombie land thank you so so much if you look on youtube by the way good luck finding stuff on zombie land we looked there's uh, some very light readings of it but uh, i think we've uh, we've done it uh, extremely proud thank you <laughs> school of movies is funded by patreon our $15 patrons get sponsorship credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finn Van Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lukes, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dackler, and Lorraine Chisholm. And I strongly considered 
seeing if I could find out where each and every one of you came from so that I could refer to you by place name rather than name, but I figured that would be a little bit creepy. However, if you got this far in the podcast, tweet at School of Movies and at Two Shrinks Pod with who you are in Zombieland. You can call me Lincoln. Uh, now, before we go, would you like to tell our listeners about your show? Sure. Oh, uh, well, I guess Two Shrinks Pods, um, uh, just Amy and I, uh, we choose a topic uh, every episode uh, and we really try and dig into some of the research and some of the theories um, just talking about a particular disorder. The most recent one we did was on Munchausen's disorder or factitious disorder where people fake illnesses just solely for the attention which is which is absolutely fascinating to think about people doing uh the next show i think we're going to do is on dissociative identity disorder which is better known as multiple personality disorder so and we did a series last year on the personality disorders um so yeah we kind of we nerd out for about an hour and then sort of at the end of it we always have like a, a lighter heart bit where we kind of find some research that we think is kind of curious or funny like you know um there was a survival analysis of the characters on Game of Thrones, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's sort of Two Shrinks and we're at uh, twoshrinkspod.com or on wherever you listen to podcasts. Yep. And Twitter, uh, Two Shrinks Pod. Everything's Two Shrinks Pod pretty much. That's it. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for coming back on. I think it's our turn to choose next. That's, uh, we'll, we'll, f- we'll think of a good one. And uh, I'd, I'd like to find something you haven't seen. Uh, that uh, like, uh, Was it Hunter who hadn't seen Inside Out yet before we yeah. Yeah. talked about it? Oh, okay. We got a great show out of, uh, you know, since you were new to it. So I guess that's our challenge. Think of something that has that much potential. But that is all from us this week. Uh, next week, I think we're going to do joker i don't want to overpromise. if we watch it and go "Ugh, i'm not doing this movie then it'll be something else but it feels like we're not going to be able to go through to the end of this year without talking about joker in some detail we hope we like it we hope it's good fingers crossed fingers crossed so i've been alex shaw i've been sharon shaw and from Zombieland, school's out rule number 32 enjoy the little things Tallahassee got his Twinkie. And even though life would never be simple or innocent again, as he savored that spongy yellow log of cream, we had hope. <laughs>